Evil to the right hand, puts her down. He's going to dump him hard to the ice. Brady Leopold just loves to fight. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Warrior. My dream of being a professional hockey player became a reality, but it was all taken away from me in a very short period of time. For many years, hockey was my outlet. Hockey was my drug. When I had a stick in my hand, nothing else mattered. I was able to break into the Western Hockey League in 2004, and I even won the Swift Current Broncos Rookie of the Year. During the summer of my rookie year, I experimented with drugs for the first time. After just seven games in my sophomore season, I walked away from the Swift Current Broncos due to personal reasons. Nobody knew I had been sexually abused at the age of five. I did everything to hide it from everybody, but I just couldn't take it. Drugs and alcohol now took over my life. I did return to the Swift Current Broncos as a 19-year-old, but things were never the same. I was eventually traded to the Kelowna Rockets in my final year of junior, where I got to play on a line with the Dallas Stars captain, Jamie Benn, and one of my best friends, the extremely talented Colin Long. It was by far my best season ever, and I even signed with the Tampa Bay Lightning's organization. A dream come true, right? That's when everything went wrong. First it was the cocaine, then came the Oxycontin, and that led me into a 12-year journey into the deepest pits of hell. Within two years, I had now made the switch to heroin, fentanyl, and everything in between, and I was now an intravenous drug user. Multiple suicide attempts and over five trips to the psych ward, I was a shadow of who I once was. By 2014, I was homeless on Hastings in Vancouver, the worst street in North America. By 2015, I was a wanted criminal, making the Crime Stopper headlines more than once. After spending three years in jail, I had completely given up. With nowhere to turn and nowhere to go, I finally started to get honest. I took a chance and made some major changes. This is my story. I overdosed over 10 times. I'm one of the lucky ones. And for that, I will always be grateful. This is for all the men and women we've lost. Matthew Lazinski, Mitch Fadden, this one's for you. My name's Brady Leibold, and I've been to hell and back. This is the road to recovery. What is going on? Welcome. Hockey to Hell and Back, episode number 106. Of course, I'm Brady Leibold coming at you guys live from beautiful Muskoka, Ontario. Love it here. It's kind of been a wild summer, though. It's been rather cold up until the last couple days, and now it's just muggy and miserable at night but what a beautiful place to live if you're watching for the first time welcome if you've seen the show welcome back don't forget to press that like button that subscribe button turn on the notifications you know what the kids tell you to do um, i'm really excited for this episode um, you know i think for me it's it's kind of been a long time coming i don't know if, if anthony knows this or not but i've been trying to line this up in the back of my mind and and i think between him for the last i don't know six months or so and i've been dreaming about it a lot longer so we're gonna bring him in here very very shortly um we're gonna hear a quick message 
from Regan Bartell and the awesome people over at Team Issue. And we'll be back with Anthony Stewart momentarily. Hi there, it's Regan Bartell, the play-by-play voice of the Kelowna Rockets, Brady Leovold's biggest fan. Team Issued is connecting all walks of life. Team Issued does this by recreating that special feeling of being a part of something bigger. A community for all striving towards the same goal. TeamIssued.ca, promo code TOEDRAG15 for 15% off. Thank you, Regan Bartell. Everyone over there at Team Issued, thank you so, so, so much. Don't forget to follow them on social media. Uh, they've been with this show since the second episode back when it was called Hockey to Heroin, The Road to Recovery. And I know I always mention this every show, but uh, Jesse over at Team Issued was one of the very first people to give me a chance. Uh, he came on my show very early on after you know pretty much everyone had casted me out, certainly in the hockey community. Uh, not only did he come on my show, but he's like, you know what, I'm going to sponsor your show. And that was like two years ago. So thank you, Jess. I love you, man. Former teammate with the Kelowna Rockets. Uh, but let's get to the reason why all of you guys are here. People get to hear me talk on this show all the time. So if you're watching this, you probably want to hear from Anthony Stewart. He really needs no introduction. Former first round pick, 25th overall by the Florida Panthers. Former captain of the Kingston Frontenacs. Seventh overall pick there in the OHL. Had a, had a successful NHL career. Played at the World Juniors, won a gold, won a silver, won a World Junior, or sorry, a U18 gold. And he battled. He battled to get there. Uh, and he's just got a phenomenal story. He's obviously an analyst on Sportsnet now. That's where a lot of people see him these days. Uh, but it's really his work that he's doing in the community that has my attention, and rightfully so. so. Without further ado, let's bring him in. Originally from Scarborough, Ontario, now living in Markham. From Sportsnet, Anthony Stewart. Stewie. How's it going? It's uh, great to finally be here. Really appreciate the support. And again, I've been following you now on Instagram for a while here. That's some great stuff telling your story. And again, if it helps even just one person, it's well worth it. So keep up uh, the great work, Brady. It's some amazing work. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, really appreciate it. Um, you know, it's it's been a journey, I think, for both of us. And, you know, it, it, hockey has obviously provided you with uh, some just unbelievable friendships and opportunities and life experiences, um, you know, but getting those that chance to play hockey didn't come easy for you and your family, did it? It did not. And, uh, you know, I always tell my story just sort of as motivation to some of the kids and you know, it's funny, I always mention to the parents, like, you know, I had that hunger to make it to the next level. And, you know, the parents are saying, oh, that was great. You know, you really had that internal hunger. And I said, no, it was a literal hunger. I literally was hungry. So uh, from when I was 10, 11 years old, you know, the family sort of you know bestowed upon me, hey, this is why you're getting the bigger piece of chicken, the extra slice of pizza, because you're going to make it rich to the National Hockey League and take care of the family. So it was a lot of pressure. Uh, but, uh, you know, what I'm doing now is trying to give back to the, you know, the community because it was the community that went above and beyond, uh, to help myself and my brother make the national hockey league. We were amazing players, great players, great talent. Uh, but we had the community help us with equipment, registration costs, uh, you know, the GTHL used to charge $2 to get into the arena. We never even had that. So if we didn't have that uh, or the rides, the rink, there would be no Chris Stewart or, you know, even a Wayne Simmons or Devontae Smith-Pelly. So that's what we're doing, trying to give back because uh, that sense of community is what helps uh, my brother and I make the National Hockey League. Yeah, talking about your brother, Chris, he also played in the NHL, had a, a great career, over 600 games I think he played. And, um, 
you know, you obviously paved the way for him. You talk about having that pressure. It wasn't just you and your brother. You had five younger sisters, if I'm correct, too. So that's a big family. Um, you know, a lot of the families struggle to make ends meet. And a lot of those families are not afforded to, to have the opportunity to even play hockey. Um, so I, I just have to ask you, looking back at that, and now that you're a father and, and a grown man, like, what, what does that really mean to you to understand the sacrifices that not only your parents made, but obviously the hockey community made for you? Well, it just makes you appreciate everything, right? And uh, I think if I didn't go through that internal struggle or little struggle that uh, my brother and I did, I don't think we would have made it. But it, it taught us to uh, really appreciate ourselves. It taught us to really reinvent ourselves. Um, you know, and make you know playing the National Hockey League. Yeah, you make a lot of money, but you spend a lot. But you know, it made me have appreciation, knowing, hey, you know what, uh, hockey was, you know, uh, what I did. It wasn't who I was. So I had an opportunity now to use those life skills that I gained living in the neighborhoods I did now to sort of recreate myself and create a second opportunity or career with Sportsnet and uh, being an analyst uh, in the hockey world and giving back to the kids. But, uh, you know, that upbringing, I don't think a lot of kids would be able to get away with it today because hockey is very, very expensive. And I don't think middle-class families can really uh, be able to come out of their pockets for tens of thousands of dollars. So I think that's the real tragedy. And I'm sure we'll get into that, that just with the prices that hockey is right now, um, you, you couldn't afford to come out of pocket to help, but uh, that's what we're trying to do now with some of the initiatives that I have going on and uh, just trying to give back because we have that appreciation uh, and we grew up that our parents uh, made sure that we uh, um, are grateful for everything. Don't expect anything. And uh, that lesson has stuck with me to this day. I love to hear that. And we can jump right into it, man. We can we can go wherever we want with this conversation. There's no producers telling me what to do. I, I'm it, man. So yeah, okay. you know, I would love to I would love to hear uh, a little bit more like uh, about your experience now as a coach with Stuart Hockey and kind of what that meant to you, because I've recently got back on the ice. I mean, I took like 10 years off and was completely you know, dismissed from the game, uh, you know, some on my own, some by people and rightfully so. Um, but what a gift it is. And I've heard you talk about this um, being on the ice. And I think for a lot of us, hockey was an outlet as players. I know it was for me when I was a young boy, and I'm sure it was the same for you. You can, you can talk about it in a minute. Um, but I never thought that I would find the immense joy that I found in just being in and around the game and being around this next generation of athletes and just seeing, uh, like you talked about, like a kid like you who has that fire in his eyes and just wants it so bad. Um, did you always know that you were going to get into like development coaching and, and what are you doing exactly with Stuart hockey? Give people a little bit of an idea. Well, it's funny when I uh, was playing, I think I was 20, I was making a million bucks playing for the Florida Panthers. I'm like, well, if I make a million dollars for the next 15 years, I have $15 million. That's not really enough to retire. So I'm going to get into the hockey school business. And that's exactly what I did, obviously with a lot uh, less money than 15 million bucks. But, you know, I wanted to get back on the ice and, uh, you know, my career near the end wasn't great. You know, you exit the league on someone else's terms, not your own. So you sort of lose that love of the game towards the end, going to Europe and having to bring your family and travel and not really being, uh, you know, valued for what you think you're worth. But uh, once I got back on the ice with the kids, you know, you just have that appreciation for the game again because you just see these kids get better every single skate, every single week, every single month. And you know, some of these kids I've been coaching since they were, you know, nine, 10 years old, they're now going into the OHL next year. Um, so just seeing that, you know, and I tell everybody, you know, times, you know, time flies and time goes by so quickly when you're on the ice. You know, if you're in a job working nine to five, people are always looking at the clock, they're ready to get out there. But when you're on that ice, especially with the kids, 
Uh, it just it just goes by so so quickly. I can do you know I'm on the ice tomorrow with the pros with Tyler Sagan and um, you know uh, Adam Henrique, and I'm on the ice tomorrow for four hours. And someone says, "Oh, I got to skate four hours tomorrow." They're freaking out. I'm like, I wish I could do eight hours. So uh, with Stewart Hockey, you know, we started that uh, once I retired in about twenty, I think it was 2017, uh, and we were just going above and beyond to try to make sure that you know kids had what they needed to to, to play hockey. And, uh, you know, we had a pretty successful hockey school where we'd have 30, 40 kids on the ice. Uh, but my wife who did the book, she'd be like, well, you know, where's all the money? <laughs> so I didn't do a great job because some kids skated for full amount. Uh, some skated for half. But there were some kids that couldn't afford to pay the 50, 60, 70 bucks. So um, I wasn't really doing it to make money. It was a business, but I was doing it to give back. Uh, but where it really turned a corner was uh, during the uh, pandemic where they raised the ice prices, you know, exponentially. Mm -hmm. Um, and you weren't allowed X amount, only X amount of kids were allowed on the ice. So I was going from having 20, 30 kids only allowed five or six. I couldn't subsidize everybody just because it just, you know, not enough time or it was just too hard on the pocket. So what I ended up doing was, um, you know, we started Hockey Quality. And if you need some more information, hockeyquality.org is uh, was just a foundation now that we can now raise money and generate money to sort of help and alleviate a lot of these costs you know skates you know the prices 1400 bucks i had to buy a pair last week sticks are 400 bucks uh, so we just wanted to have that equity and provide that equity for the kids where you're giving each kid exactly what they need to be successful there's some kids that have been wearing the same pair of skates for four years and they're going into their draft year and they're potentially a second or third round draft pick so um, we ended up packaging it really well. We got a lot of media behind it. I used my contacts at Sportsnet, and uh, we ended up doing a deal with the National Hockey League and NHLPA where um, they fund you know, pretty much every one of our programs. So I'm very grateful for the opportunity uh, from, the, uh, from the league and from the PA because they recognized us as one of the leaders of, of making a difference. And uh, I think we started with 30 kids in our mentorship group. And we had uh, 10 kids drafted to the OHL, and I think six or seven will probably be playing uh, next year. So in our first year, we've, we've come a long way, but uh, there's a lot more uh, and bigger things to come. And I'm just excited uh, for that journey with these uh, next generation of uh, youth hockey players. No kidding. I, I, this is straight out of Tim and Friends playbook. <laughs> yeah, <I'm shocked>. yeah. <laughs> right? That, that, that's what I got for yeah, you. I need that. I need that. I need that app. <laughs> right? Well, it's, it's on the soundboard here. And I had Tim, I had Tim on the show probably like a year ago or whatever. And I was telling him that I used to watch a show when I was on vacation. That's what I call it, where I was for three years on vacation. And, you know, and that was like the only show that I could watch. And it was this horn. And it really like inspired me almost to start this podcast between them and, and Joe Rogan. But that horn is just so iconic to me. I know they, they probably didn't invent it, but to me, it's so like Tim. For and sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, I mean, it's, it's amazing, right? Like to, to think, uh, to think about, all that you guys are accomplished is your, is your brother uh, a partner in this? Is that, um, so he's with, um, you know, he's sort of Stuart hockey in the U S where he, uh, he actually purchased uh, Minnesota hockey camps. So that's one of the biggest hockey camps uh, in Minnesota. And, you know, I'm on the ice a lot, but he's on the ice cause he's now, you know, he's got to deal with a hundred kids uh, a day, you know, sleeping over at his camp. So he's got a big, big operation, uh, in, in Minnesota. But like I said, it's a different division of Stuart hockey, but, uh, like for him, I told him, Hey, you know, when you retire, there's that down period where you don't really know what you want to do. Get involved with the game. Stay involved with the game. And that's the first thing he did. He went and bought that hockey school. Uh, that was his first order of business. Uh, then he got a job for player development with the Philadelphia Flyers. So uh, the game finds a way to give back, uh, not just when you're uh, playing, but uh, when you're done as well. 
Yeah, I can attest that I think so many of us can. And it, it just really makes me understand you know, how grateful I am. And I know you are to, to just have the opportunity to be a part of the community. Never mind. Yes, it's, you know, that you played in the NHL and all that that comes with it. But when I reflect back on it, it it's more about the, the, relationships and the friendships and the memories being a kid and traveling around and, and and competing like learning how to really compete and and how that translates into real life uh, I would like I would love to hear a little bit more about your your transition out of hockey and what that looked like because as we know it it has been disastrous for for a lot of people when this is all you've done your whole entire life and like you said you some often ends on on somebody else's terms and that's a really hard a hard pill to swallow um what what was the experience like for you when when you had to say goodbye to the game in the only way that you knew it up to that point well it's, it's definitely uh frustrating right and um you know i was in i signed a two-year so i had my best year <clears throat> i think it was 2013 with the atlanta thrashers where i had 40 points and i'm like well you know what uh i'm gonna sign my first one-way contract and uh you know i have arbitration i'm going to now sign probably a three-year deal three million per uh, but that's when Atlanta switched and moved to the Winnipeg Jets and they didn't keep my rights. So they literally let me go to free agency uh, where I had to sign with the Carolina Panthers. I signed, sorry, Carolina Hurricanes, excuse me, where I signed a two-year deal. And uh, the first year was okay. Um, I think it was, uh, I think I had 20 points playing with Tim Brent and uh, Derek Jocelyn. And, uh, you know, then the lockout happened. So the lockout happened and, um, you know, it was very, very tough. You're sitting around not doing much. So our agent uh, sent me to, uh, England. So I was playing in England. Uh, but then when the lockout ended, um, you know, I got traded the day the lockout ended. And I went to the Los Angeles Kings and I said, well, you know what, 20 points last year, you know, that puts me in the top six, all is great. Uh, but they called me into the office and essentially said, hey, we just won the Stanley Cup with this group, you're gonna have to go down to the minors. So I was pretty devastated because I finally got over the hump in Atlanta in a decent year with 60 points in two years. Uh, and I had to go back down to the minors and prove myself again. So it was very, very frustrating. Uh, and I ended up going to uh, Russia and the KHL afterwards. And again, you know how that works. They're always looking for the next best thing. So I bounced around there for about a season and a half. And I just finally had enough where I was like, you know what? I have a young family. I think it's time to, to hang it up. So I ended up uh, retiring and getting involved in minor hockey. But again, for those first you know year, year and a half, you're not really sure, you know, what do you do? Do you go get a job? Um, you know, do you tap into your savings? You know, what do you do? So there's a lot of sitting around on the couch and, you know, doing nothing. You get out of shape. You get uh, into, into trouble that way. Uh, but I found a way just to stay motivated, getting back into the game by getting involved with minor hockey. So it started with, you know what, let me design a logo and just getting part of the creative process and getting the juices flowing with that. Hey, let me work on ice contracts. Let me work on uh, you know, my people skills and talking to parents and talking about development. Okay, now let's get them on the ice. Now let's get them in the gym. Now let's get them in tournaments. Now let's build the program. So I slowly built that program over about two, three years and, uh, you know, successful in Toronto where it's probably the biggest market and there's the most businesses. So um, I'm very proud to say that, uh, you know, we have a great, great business, but we've added now the charity side where I don't have to worry about, uh, if someone doesn't pay the 50 bucks or the 60 bucks, you know, we have probably, I think, the cheapest prices for our camps in all of uh, the city of Ontario, where most camps are 100 bucks a day. We do 250 for the week if you can't afford it. So we completely uh, reset the market and subsidizing some of the training. And I just go back to if I had this where I could train for free and not have to worry about it, or if someone 
was getting me sticks all the time. I would, I think I'd still be playing if I had all the training and all that. Yeah. So, uh, but again, I'm grateful for the opportunity now and blessed that, uh, you know, I get the opportunity now to make this my second career along with Sportsnet to train, develop uh, kids from grassroots level all the way to the players in the National Hockey League as well. Yeah, it's 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 got to be exciting times for you because it's you've put that time in with these these young athletes and now they're really starting to take off in their journeys. It's got to be really rewarding. Uh, how much do you? I, I I sit here and listen to you and I, I'm just really thinking about everything that you've gone through, everything that you're doing, and of course you're you're tr- probably a tremendous a development coach, skills coach. You you know the game, but. How much do you find that it's really the mentor side that you that really maybe makes a difference where some is there is that like a key piece here? Like, do kids need that mentorship or do they just need more skills training and more on ice and more in the gym? Like, no, I I think they do need the mentorship. And I think the proper mentorship because if you tell a 12 year old exactly what it takes to make the National Hockey League and how hard it is, they'd probably quit. And I go back to, um, you know, my brother. Uh, and everyone looked at my brother at 16 years old. He's never going to play in the National Hockey League. He looked at Wayne Simmons at 17. He's not going to play in the uh, in the National Hockey League. But what they had, uh, you know, my brother had me who went above and beyond to make sure that he didn't have to worry about rides. He didn't have to worry about money. Uh, I got him an opportunity and a tryout with the Kingston Frontenacs, and he made the team. Uh, but he had me there to pick him up, drive him to school, give him lunch money, take him to lunch, teach him how to drive, teach him how to dress, teach him all those things that I had to learn the hard way. And he now took those lessons and, uh, you know, bestowed it upon Wayne Simmons. So I think with that mentorship, just saying, hey, this is the way things need to be done. Don't do it my way. These are the mistakes I made along the way. I think that's what real mentorship is. But I think a lot of coaches now, they they – they coach in their strengths. Hey, I was the best stick handler, so let me show you how to stick handle. No, no, no. I'm going to teach you what you know got me out of the league. So you better learn how to play a two-way game. You better yes. learn how to forecheck. You better learn how to protect yourself. You better learn how to block shots because um, you know there's a lot more middle six and bottom six uh, rules than top six rules. So you have to learn to play the game the right way. And I think a lot of kids, they really, and the parents lose appreciation for that, saying, well, my son is Mitch Marner, and you're teaching him to be – uh, Zach Hyman. But I said, if I was Zach Hyman, I would still be playing. I thought I was Mitch Marner. So just teaching those kids those lessons on and off the ice, that's going to make them successful. I think that's what uh, the real mentorship's about. I love it. It's music to my ears. I got to ask you too about all the toys on the ice. What, what do you make of all these obstacles all over the <laughs> ice? Like, honestly, as, as you're, you're a very successful skills coach, everything, how much of that do you focus on with say your, your pro guys, your OHL guys, like how much time are you spending putting guys through these obstacles with no passing, no contact, it's, no battle. It's like, funny. I, I have, I have a bag of tricks, but that's usually for the, you know, the, the grassroots kids. And, you know, when I'm on the ice with the pros, zero apparatuses, we don't have any cones, no pylons, nothing. They always want to touch. They want to practice. They want to, sorry, they want to get touches. They want to pass. They want to swing two on ones, three on ones, two on O's. So just always moving, getting the hands going. Uh, but you know, it's funny. I just did a, a camp last week with uh, my grassroots kids and you know, one of the best things I've ever got was this kid. They had to do an exercise where they write about their day in the journal for their camp. And the one kid wrote and he had a picture. He's like, I got to jump over pool noodles. So here I was before the camp buying pool noodles at uh, Walmart and putting them on the ice for the kids. 
And this kid, that was the one thing he remembered from the camp. I got to jump over pool noodles and play tag and hit kids with pool noodles. So for the grassroots kids, I, I like it. Yeah. I like it because you want to keep them engaged. They can't focus on edge work for an hour. They need some sort of stimulation. So, yeah, you know what? Go over the pool noodles. Go through the danglers. But I think a lot of kids right now, they, they teach hockey as a – they think it's a discipline. Hockey's not a discipline. It's a lifestyle. So kids do hockey. Uh, but back when I played, I was hockey. You know, I got that. I had the back, hat backwards like you, and you know, I had the flow and the wings. Uh, but I was the kid at the rink with the stick in his hands every single time. I was the kid watching every single Leaf game, every single hat game. I was the guy playing ball hockey, roller hockey, ring net. My brother and I used to make him play goalie, and we used to flip uh, the shopping cart, and that was our nets. So we were we were hockey. We didn't do hockey. So I think. That's sort of lost with some of these kids where they're treating it as a discipline as opposed to a lifestyle. I see that too. And I've only got a small sample size. Um, it, it, how, how do you teach that? Like, how do, how do you instill that? And, and how do you deal with parents that seemingly want their kid to, to want it more than, than maybe they want it? Well, I've been around now. You wait till the draft and you say, I told you so. <laughs> and then you hit the reset button. But um, it, it's tough and it's a constant uh, you know, tug of war. Uh, but again, you care for these kids, you care for the parents, you do your best to try to educate them, right? And most of them are, are smart, they're lawyers, they're doctors, but they sort of lose that focus when it comes to the players. So I just try to be myself, explain it once, twice, sometimes uh, three times. And uh, eventually, the, the, the one good part is I don't do it to try to make everybody buy in. If I have one or two kids buy in and go on to the next level or get it, it makes it worth all the other hassle of trying to explain it 20 times to some different parents. So the, the appreciation is those parents that do get it and that offsets the people that don't. Yeah, that makes, that makes perfect sense. Um, let's, let's go back to your junior days a little bit in Kingston and we're kind of getting, you know, I'm just going to transition right into that great segue. Let's talk about your junior career. Um, Kingston front next captain OHL uh, seventh overall, um, you know, obviously it was a tough road to get there, uh, you know, financially, but you had a lot of help. Um, what about the hockey side of things like getting there? It's, you know, seventh overall pick, it, it, just a tremendously successful junior career. What kind of adversity in hockey did you face maybe leading up to that? And when, what was it like for you? It's like, say as like a rookie in the OHL, was that a positive experience for you or was it tough? Cause we played back in the day when it was a lot tougher. Yeah, it was tough. That you, you say the road to the OHL was tough. Yeah, it was tough because I didn't have a ride to the OHL. So <laughs> I had uh, my agent at the time couldn't drive me. So it's funny. I, I played, um, you know, some minor hockey, sorry, some summer hockey with this uh, lady that ran a program called the Deuce Recruits. And every summer she'd bring me to uh, upstate New York and we play in Boston and we play in New York and we travel. Um, and she actually hopped on a plane and drove picked me up in Toronto and drove me to Kingston. We stopped at the bank and she opened up a bank account, my very first bank account and put a thousand bucks in that. So in the account. So to this day, I'm very, very grateful because she could easily said I was too busy like some other people did at the time. But for someone to do that, you know, that said, Hey, you know what? They really, really believe in me. I don't want to let them down. So, uh, you know, you're going into that situation. Um, but for me, you know, I had the pressure of home where, Hey, I'm in the OHL, but my goal is the NHL. I got to sign at 18 to make a million bucks and buy my family a house. That's what was bestowed upon me since 11 years old. So um, it was hard, uh, but it was easy at the same time because I was big. I was fast. Um, I was strong. I think my first exhibition game, I got into a fight and 
ended up beating up David Silverstone. And uh, I think I only fought one more time before my NHL draft. So I think that was my gift and my curse where everyone was afraid of me and I was a good hockey player. But I didn't really learn how to fight because I didn't have to do it because, you know, I was six foot two and 240 pounds at 17 years old. So um, it, it was great because, you know, the team didn't make the playoffs. Uh, but what helped me become a first round NHL draft pick was going to under 18. And I wasn't really having any pressure because here I am now. I get to travel to Slovakia. I get to travel to Europe where, you know, the furthest I've ever been was Boston. So for the opportunity to go to Europe, and I think I ended up leading the tournament in points and, and goals and all that too. So that really helped propel me uh, into, you know, first round status with the NHL. But uh, for Kingston, we didn't make the playoffs. Uh, but, you know, I think my number one junior um, accomplishment was uh, getting my brother a tryout where mm -hmm. I was a good enough player where I had the confidence to go into the office and say, hey, I have a younger brother that he quit hockey about two years ago. He's playing football, but I saw him play. He's good enough. He can make it. And essentially they said, well, you better be right because if not, we're going to cut him and we're going to trade you. So I put all my eggs in faith in my brother and he ended up making the team as a fighter. I told him, hey, you're probably going to have to fight. And they asked me if he can fight. I said, well, He's going to have to, and he made the team as a fighter. Uh, and I think he only had like three or four goals in the first half of the season. But um, like I said, he had the mentorship from me, uh, but they gave him an opportunity when I went away to World Juniors. And he went on a scoring streak where he scored, I think, 18 goals his first year as a walk-on uh, player coming in at 255 pounds. So I think that's my number one accomplishment. I was good enough to give somebody else an opportunity. And, you know, the rest is history for my brother where – it saved him that he was a late draft pick, sorry, late birthday, and he was able to get two more years of experience under his belt and drafted as a first-round National Hockey League player. So it's a bit of a Cinderella story, but uh, it's definitely great. And, uh, you know, maybe one day we'll uh, we'll write a book about it. I, I hope that you guys do. Uh, that's just a tremendously inspiring story. And it kind of goes back to why you're doing what you're doing now is because you want to instill that, hey, you know, it doesn't matter where you come from. If this is what you want, you can make it happen. And you're now a key piece for for a lot of these people in their road to, you know, believing in themselves and, and actually giving them the power to dream not having to worry, like you said, about, you know, so there's some people worrying about food, um, some people that just can't afford to play hockey. But when you find somebody, obviously, like you were and your brother were that just, you, like you said, hockey's a lifestyle, we were hockey. Um, it, it's amazing to know that there's people out there like you that, uh, that are giving back. Um, and people instilled that in you as a young boy, because they did that for you. And I know there was, there was a couple instances like that out in BC at the Burnaby Winter Club, prestigious Burnaby Winter Club, um, that they they really stepped up and help help some some guys my age that I know of. And um, there's just such a, a beauty in hockey, the community. And we obviously there's some problems within hockey, just like anywhere. It's not like a lot of the stuff that goes on is is unique to hockey. It's just world problems and people often like to blow them up. Uh, but there's just so much beauty in it, man. It's given me everything that I have in my life. Like I, I there's I, I can't think of one good thing in my life that hockey didn't bring me you know even after all these years and uh, I'm assuming it's it's likely the same for you like almost if it's not right yeah it's definitely great and again I don't really remember you know who was in my grade two class but I remember all my teammates from you know when I was playing novice hockey and you know for the North York Canadian so it's funny how the game works and you just have that connection and uh, it takes a lot but it, it gives a lot more is for sure yeah um your time in your time in junior though like we're we're 
when you had to move away from home with that pressure, uh, is, was it, was there tough times for you and, and how do you deal with, with your young athletes now? Like, do, do you talk to them about what that experience is like moving away from home, moving to a community, representing that team? Uh, because I think back to my time in Swift Current and like, we were animals, like we, yeah. we were running amok all over the town, you know, practice is done at 1 PM and curfews not till 11 at night. And basically had absolutely no supervision from, you know, one in the afternoon till 11 PM. And we're in this small little community. And I mean, we didn't get into that much trouble, but looking back, I'm like, holy, what were we doing, doing that shit, playing in the Western hockey league, trying to, you know, I don't think I really had an understanding of where I was in like relativity to, you know, reaching that goal, like being right there. I think I almost took it for granted or didn't really quite understand how to be a professional. So is that something that you try to to teach these kids? And, and, and what was your experience? Did you, did you show up to Kingston and was it like, I got to figure this out? Or did you have an idea, somebody that mentored you leading up to that point? No, I had to learn everything by myself. Uh, but like I said, it, it was kind of weird. Like since I was 11 years old, like I was going to make the National Hockey League and nothing could stand in my way. And, you know, everyone asked me, you know, well, how was it, you know, dealing with racism? And I'm like, well, I, I got bigger things to deal with here. <laughs> I don't care what someone has to say. I, I need I need to make my million bucks, right? So I had to go through that. Uh, but there's ups and downs, right? And I tell everybody, I said, you know what, uh, to, to the kids today, you know, they're, they're kind of coddled, which again, I understand that that's a generation, but I'm like, Back in our day, if you messed up, they'd put your stuff in a garbage bag and you'd almost yeah. guys would be on the first train back home. So you have to have that discipline. Um, you know, I use the, um, you know, the example, some players have slept in at NHL training camp and till this day, six, seven years yet later, their career is over. So you can't be late. So you better set your alarm. You better drag your butt out of bed because at that next level, they're not going to afford you that opportunity because like I said, they don't understand the grand scope of how big you know, the hockey world is and how many players there are. So if you're trying to make the National Hockey League and you can't figure out those details, um, those are things I had to learn, you know, the hard way. And I said, the only thing that saved me, you know, I was branded as a player that wasn't a leader. He can lead his team to the playoffs. You can put up a lot of points, but he's not a leader. But the only thing that saved my draft status was going to under 18 and performing very, very well at the under 18s and under 17. So I think for a lot of these kids, they need those lessons. Uh, but I think I'm the wrong guy to ask because it, it, it's it's tough to explain. But I was I had my 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 head elsewhere, uh, sort of above the clouds at that time. And it's funny I was going into the OHL and I had a player tell me he's like he was part of the agency at the time. He was a four year OHL vet and I think he put up a career high 25 points. He's like, hey Stewie, you know you're going into the OHL next year. You know you should just focus on fighting. And if you score five goals in your first year, you know that'll be good. I'm like. Dude, I don't know who you think I am, but I'm, I'm scoring 20 and I'm scoring, I'm putting up 70 points. I don't know. So I just had it in my mind uh, because I just had that pressure, but, uh, you know, the pressure to, to, to make it. So uh, it's it's tough to put that pressure on a 15 or 16-year-old now. Uh, but like you said, kids were sort of built a little bit different now. So I think now uh, with a lot of the kids, they need to start realizing now and utilizing some of the mental health resources, focusing, goal-setting, um, you know, not looking at the big, big pressure uh, picture and letting a draft, uh, you know, ruin your, your career or, you know, because everyone now I have kids that, you know, were supposed to be in the third round of the OHL draft and they went 12th round and they expected me to come and give them a hug and say, it's okay. I said, hey, do you know where my brother was his OHL draft year? And they're like, where? I'm like, he was playing football. So <laughs> it doesn't matter. I was a first round OHL draft pick. 
My brother was undrafted. He went on to play, you know, probably 400 more games than I did. So it's not about status. And I think a lot of kids now, they're worried about instant gratification. They're worried about their peers. They're worried about social media. So that's a, that's a, a microcosm of a bigger issue in society. That's not just yeah. hockey, but it's just that instant gratification, I think, is really hurting a lot of the players, I think, especially uh, in Canada and the Toronto area. Yeah. I I hadn't really thought about that, how the the pressures of social media, especially surrounding the, you know, like the draft and, you know, some guys posting pictures, signing their OHL or WHL contracts or it's posted. I see rankings like the, like 10 year olds are ranked like best 10 year old in in Ontario. And I'm like, it's some guy that no one even knows that are making the rankings. So I'm like, I can make rankings. You want, if you want, I can rank you guys and you guys can pass that around and, and that's not really going to help anything, but if that's what you like, right? <laughs> well, it's a lot of pre- it's a lot of pressure on kids. It's a yeah. lot of pressure on kids. I I, I want to hope like, and I don't have a. You've seen a lot more of it than I have. Um, I want to feel like there's there's more resources for the kids now, and I think there are. Uh, when we played junior, you're a couple years older than me, but when we were playing junior, um, it was really for me anyways, my experience was like, I'm not telling anybody what's going on. If I'm having a bad day or something's going on back home or I'm homesick, I'm not telling, you know, my, even my best friend on the team, like if it's right before a game, Hey man, I, I, I'm not feeling it tonight. Like I, I got this other stuff going on. Like we're about to go to war together and, and yeah. I, I got to keep this shit to myself. And uh, I had this conversation with so many of the guys I played with. I'm like, you know, I was really feeling like this pretty much like every game. Like he's mm-hmm. <laughs> like, they're like, yeah, me too. I was sitting there the whole time so we're sitting there essentially going through similar things but nobody was talking about it um you know based off of your experience and kind of what you see now what has there been a a shift within the way that you know maybe guys are are more forthcoming to maybe talk about or or seek help like what what have you seen stewie well you know i I obviously work for sportsnet and i traveled for the good deeds cup and uh, one of the teams were the coliquim express and the bchl and why they were nominated was my had, uh, that's that's I played for them. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's one town over from where I'm from. Shout yeah. out to the small Express. world, small world. But they had a full time, full fully staffed uh, mental health, you know, staff member. So he was his job was to deal with the day to day mental health. And I'm thinking that just from an important standpoint, how great that is to have somebody knowing that hey, if I'm having a down day, week, month, game, I can walk into an office and talk to it, talk to somebody, and have it be confidential, right? Where you know, if you were worried about your feelings 15, 20 years ago, you were viewed as weak, right? And there's guys going through so many things as you know, anxiety issues and performance issues, where you know, if you could just chat about it. You know, I think that can really, really make a difference. So kudos to Colicum for making that uh, investment, but just that should be the norm. Every team should have somebody like that, right? And everyone says, you know, if you if you have a issue, you know, feel free to talk. So I don't think we're one hundred percent there, uh, but it's a lot better than it was 15, 20 years ago. And I think that's what it is. Everybody now wants instant change, but things take. You have to assess certain situations. You have to make adjustments, and it takes time. But I think you're taking a step in the right direction. So I think now for my kids, and you know, 10, 15 years, I think it'll be a lot more. Um, you know, progressive uh, with side with the mental health side for sure. Yeah, I agree with you too. Shout out to Danny Shepard because he's the uh, he's the individual who works for the Coquitlam Express. There, uh, he's a friend of mine, and he's uh, doing some tremendous work out there. And I, you know, I think that's a BC Hockey League team. And I, you know, my opinion is that that's this the the best tier two junior league in Canada. Um, but 
you know, for them to step up and have that uh, for their players, I think it speaks volumes. And I'm, I'm hoping that more teams follow suit. Obviously, there's costs involved with that as well. And some of these teams are smaller markets. And it's almost, they probably lose, a lot of them probably lose money every year. And there isn't a whole lot of extra money there. But I really feel like they're, you know, we have to find a way to, to have that that support for, for players and, and not just hockey players. I think everybody generally speaking needs to have uh, you know, better and, and more accessible support, uh, whether that's their friends or professionals uh, just creating that conversation. Right. And that's the hardest part for a lot of people. And um, you know, I, I just put myself in the situation because I didn't get drafted to the Western league either. I actually quit the under 16s in the middle of the thing. Cause I was having so much anxiety and everything right. else and fear of failure and all that stuff. But I remember on draft day, like still looking like, oh, probably maybe I'll get drafted. Yeah, yeah. And, and I didn't. Right. But that was like back in the days of like MSN Messenger. There was nothing like being posted about it and everything else. Um, have you seen any kids quit hockey at all? Like because they didn't get drafted? Does that happen? Like, do they just lose interest and give up? Uh, have you seen any of that? Yeah, I, I've had. Yeah. And I actually had a couple of my players this past season where, you know, they were expected to get drafted and, uh, you know, they're expecting maybe to go to junior age camps and it didn't happen. And I just found out a couple of weeks ago that two of my, three of my players actually just quit where I was like, you know, a year and a half ago, you know, there's pandemic issues and all that. I'm like, I could see them getting a scholarship. I could see them playing potentially in the OHL, but I understand it. There's a lot of pressure, not just from coaches and, and schools, but just even from the families, right? A lot of them are working class where, Hey, maybe you have to go work, uh, in the family business, or maybe, you know what, you're going to pay a little bit more attention to that other sport where you're getting a little bit more love. So I think that's the real tragedy where I think success is defined or your path for success is defined at 15, 16 years old, where that's not the case, where you, you look at situations like my brother and Wayne Simmons, who didn't really peak until they were like 18 years old or 19 years old and at the junior level. So I think, uh, you know, Hockey Canada can sort of really take a lesson from that and find a way now to keep these kids in the game. And, you know, maybe you have a, a tier three junior league or something like that where it's more affordable and you give the kids the opportunity to sort of develop, right? Because everybody can't be six foot two, 240 pounds at 17 and, you know, have their path carved out to the National Hockey League. So I think a lot more can be done uh, with that. But like you said, it's, 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 it's a tough game physically, but even more mentally, right? And as you get older, that sort of, it just sort of bottlenecks a little bit. And for those kids to get through, it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough. I did it. Uh, my brother did it, but we were very, very lucky and grateful. And so they say it's all about timing and opportunity and you can control your uh, two things, you know, your, your mentality and your fitness. And it's, it's very, very tough to make it. So I understand why, but I think there could be more that can be done to try to keep the kids in it, to let them sort of mature and develop a couple more years at least. Yeah, just I, I feel like it all happens so quickly. It's it, they go from being like prepubescent adolescents to these teenagers, and they're barely teenagers, and they're getting drafted and all this pressure. And there's so much room for growth over the next until they're like 19, 20. Like yeah. you look at it, Andrew Ladd was just on the show. I grew up and trained with him when I was younger. I've known him like since I was eight years old. You know, he was somebody that got not drafted, passed on, you know, cut from the Vancouver Giants and then picked up and, and by the Hitman. Then he's fourth overall, winning World Junior Gold, yeah. winning the Stanley Cup. Like it yeah. can happen so quickly. And just there's so many different paths to the NHL or uh, to pro hockey in general. Uh, and I just feel like, man, like everyone throw, is throwing their eggs in one basket. It's like, if this doesn't happen, well, then it's over. And uh, it, it's just, it's really tough to hear. I, I, 
I, I agree with you. I would like to see that there be another league or a couple of leagues. That's more about just encouraging people to stay within the game. Um, because you know, I, I know you see some of the pictures behind me, you can't really see them clearly, but you know, there was a, there was a, like 11, I think 11 hockey players that died of fentanyl overdose in 2021 alone, guys that played mm-hmm. tier two, OHL, WHL, some pro, um, and, and multiple suicides as well. And I don't blame hockey for that, but I often wonder, it's like, so in so many cases, they, they were done playing hockey, right. And they were disconnected from the hockey community in some way, something happened and, you know, hockey saved my life. The community, the people in it saved my life uh, when I decided to share my story and then find my way back to the game. And I don't, I just don't think I'm alive if I don't have the game of hockey. So I really would like to see um, different organizations and even the government here in Canada do a little bit more to make it inclusive and and so that people can allow, can be you know afforded the opportunity to play longer. And if their dream is to play in the NHL, well, sometimes it's going to take you till you're 23, 24 to get there, maybe even later in some cases. Cases, uh, but if if it's it's just such a great environment, right? A great community, and yes, we talk about the pressures, and there's this whole other side to it. But at the end of the day, when I sift through all the crap that hockey and all the tough times and all the stuff, I'm still left with like just an enormous amount amount of uh, just gratitude and just amazing life experiences. Where when I focus on that, all that other stuff just seems to like it's like it didn't even happen because there's just all this just amazing. Uh, I don't even have the word for it. Like I, I honestly sit back sometimes now uh, I'll go be about to go on the ice and I'll start crying because uh-huh. that's how lucky I feel just to be going on the ice. Um, and I always tell the players that I'm coaching, I'm like, you know, there's kids right now that can't play. There's kids that don't have food. Like, you know, uh-huh. look at your parents sitting up there in the stands right now. Like, do you think that maybe your parents have somewhere else they'd rather be than sitting in a cold rink watching you play hockey? Um, as much as they love to watch you play, um, they have interest too, and they're sacrificing a lot for for you to be here. You know, financially, time, like time is the most valuable thing we have. And hockey, a hockey player, that takes up a lot of time and a lot of money. Um, so I, I really try to instill that into the kids, and it sounds like you do too. Um, you have a favorite memory uh, from hockey career at all? Uh, I'd probably be winning World Juniors, right? Because we sort of lost in embarrassing fashion to the U.S. the year before, where uh, I think it was Flurry shot it off our own guy, and uh, you know we we're winning three one, and we blew the lead. But uh, just you know how focused everyone was the year before. We brought in Coach Brent Sutter, and you know he mean business. He meant business right away, and you know from that first puck drop, just seeing you know like the lads and the Crosbys and the Bergerons, it's like. There's no way we could be stopped here. So, you know, my main memory from that was, you know, seeing Sidney Crosby the first year as a, I think it was a 15 or 16 year old to being a, hey man, there's a picture of me with my arm around him saying, hey, don't worry about it. They'll get some more ice time, you know, to him being the best player in the world the next year with his arm around me saying, hey, Stewie, don't worry about it. You'll be good. You'll get some more ice time. And I led the team in points, uh, the tournament in points the year before. So just seeing Sidney Crosby go from Sid the kid to the best player in the world, I'm like, you know, what's going on here? Is there rushing gas in the queue that I don't know about? Like what's like just, but he was just that talented, but uh, that hardworking, but uh, it's funny. I always go back and watch the world juniors, you know, our tournament uh, every Christmas. And, you know, this past year I, I went and I saw Malkin. I'm like, Malkin played in this game. I don't even remember Malkin being out there. And uh, you know, my, my one memory was, I think it was Bergeron put Oveshkin out in the second period and he was done for the game. So just, the dominance and just, you know, that being one of the best world junior teams of all time and being a part of that. And, 
you know, people say, are you embarrassed? That's your main hockey accomplishment. I'm like, no, I was part of something great and amazing. And I'm grateful for that opportunity. And, you know, we were talking about it, uh, you know, that team at that time, it was during the NHL lockout, you know, we were a bunch of, you know, 18 and 19 year old hotshots. I think that would have been an NHL playoff team. Like that's how much talent there was on that team. And Jeff Carter and Getzlaff and Shea Weber, Dion Phaneuf, Sean Bell, um, you know, so many other guys, Clark MacArthur. So I think out of that team, I think 17 guys played in the National Hockey League. I think there was five or six guys to play a thousand games. And I think, you know, 12 guys over 300 games. So I think just seeing that talent and um, just knowing that, you know, we mean business here and just showed what, you know, <laughs> hockey in Canada was at the time. I think that was definitely great. Yeah, I just I feel like people are going to grill me if I don't ask you about the the stuff going on with Hockey Canada. I want to get too much into it, but make a if you can make a quick comment on what do you think uh you know, what what do you see that, you know, we need where people need to focus their attention to to make the change that's needed. And again, I'm just want to say this because people have maybe seen me on CBC and you know my comments. I I want to be very clear that I don't blame any one organization, not Hockey Canada, not the NHL, not not a a person, not a coach I had, nothing. Um, so what I saw was that, you know, it's just been the same sort of cycle where it's just this normalcy um, of, of stuff that goes on. You go away and you learn from older guys and those guys learnt, were young and they learned from older guys and they were young and learned from older guys. And some of them were like coaches moved away. Your coaches were 16-year-olds that moved away from home and and this this cycle. But, I mean, it's kind of in a little bit of shambles. Like, what what do you see that's you know, maybe that we can do to, to move forward here and to make hockey better for everyone. Well, I think everyone can agree it was sort of a systemic societal failure and, and top to bottom, right, on Hockey Canada's part too. And, you know, you, you go over the focus on what their main agenda was with what they were trying to get out of the game for the last 15, 20 years. It was, it was the hazing, right? Yeah. Remember how bad hazing was, right? And that was the main issue at the time. And I think a lot of people didn't really know this stuff was going on because you remember coaches at the time, well, I don't want to hear about this. I don't want to hear about that. Whatever happens in the room stays in the room. Yeah. And I think a lot of people sort of got, you know, hurt and uh, exploited, you know, in the wrong way over the years. And again, it, it was tough to to really fathom and just understand that, right? Because again, that was something that I was never a part of. I had five young sisters and I still do to this day. And so I think it's just a natural respect for women. Uh, but I th think right now, you know, at the top, there needs to be a better, uh, you know, leadership system and reporting and, and taking care of these issues as opposed to sweeping it under the rug. So I'm sure, you know, you got to put your faith, I guess, in Hockey Canada that they're going to make the right changes because, um, it, regardless of the pressure that they're feeling or, you know, social media and the news, it's just the right thing to do, right? You, you want hockey to be safe. You want people coming into this space involved as fans, uh, customers, um, brothers, sisters, you want them to be an inclusive space. So I know, you know, every month there just seems to be different issues, but that just shows how much has sort of been overlooked over the last, uh, you know, 15, 20 years. So I think, as much as you want to judge everybody now for what's going on, let's give the opportunity now to make that change. And I think right now it, it, it's it's at a crossroads where the right thing, I think the only thing to do is sort of make those policy changes and change things, which they're making a step in the right direction. So uh, I'll hold a little bit more on my criticism and it's like everything, it takes time. Yes. Right? You know, we're Very talking about hazing and, uh, you know, for me, you know, I had to ride in the trunk to school if I wanted to ride to school sometimes and they yeah. go over the bot, right? But I'll tell you, when I was the captain, no one was right. Everyone was, you know, the rookies are riding in the front seat, right? Mm -hmm. So that's uh, that's systemic issue. You know, it, it's it's still a little bit.
prevalent today, but how it was 15, 20 years ago, it's nowhere close. And I think that's sort of what it has to be now for every other thing that's uh, involved in the game of hockey. Yeah, it's a it's a really good point. I, I I got it bad, man. I got I got hazed so bad. You know, bottles of bleach dumped on me in the shower. I'm showering, eyes are burning. You know, broomsticks, not like that, but you know, get just getting yeah. in the back and and everything else. And you know, the the sweat box treatment on the bus, the trunk yeah. of the car. And and I can say that you know, the next year, like when I was 17, you know, I remember like. The, the, we were put in the trunk the year before. So what do you think we did to the 16 year olds as a 17 year old put the kid? I remember putting a kid in the trunk of the car and probably didn't make him feel good. I know it didn't make me feel good. I, yeah. I hated the way that it made me feel. All I wanted to do was just fit in. Mm-hmm. And, and like you, when I got traded to Kelowna, uh, it was just different. I was like, no, we're not doing this this way anymore like you know and i think it was also pressure because of the the changes that they started to implement within this canadian hockey league because all this stuff started to come out but from what i hear it's gotten a lot better and it gives me a lot of hope that you know we can see the same thing um talking you know what's in the news now with the culture but i think it's also important to remember that's all part of the culture the hazing um you know the the racism that we saw a lot of and and the just you know not a ton of equality there in hockey, which I, I, before I let you go, I know, I don't know how much time you have here, Stu, but, um, uh, you know, it, it's gotta be like a complete package where in my opinion, it's like, we gotta get, we gotta really start to educate like the grassroots, like the kids and, and that li- the onus lies on the parents, the coaches, maybe hockey Canada or hockey USA, wherever you live. But it, to me, like, if you want to see change, it's gotta be people helping people. And we have to do it as a community. It can't just be like looking to one and be like, okay, well, it's up to them to fix it. It, it lies on all of us as, as people in the hockey community, just to be better. And, and, and I appreciate you sharing your experience experience and, and your wisdom here with us tonight on that and we can we can move on from that um but before i let you go uh your work with the hockey diversity alliance uh you know i commend you guys for that i, I wanted to say too because you're an O guy i'm a western league guy ryan reeves was much the same in, in the western league he could it was like he was the kid on brandon that could barely skate yeah um was a fighter everyone was scared of him he didn't have to fight that much much like you know, you put up way more points than he did in junior. But I, I remember chirping Revo like, mm-hmm. like you're the worst player out here. Like, don't yeah. even talk to me. Don't yeah. even talk to me. And in hindsight, maybe he wasn't that bad. I wasn't the only one saying it. But look, but look, right? Look where he is. He's still playing, right? And is he a superstar? Maybe not on, maybe not point wise, but to me, he's a superstar in the NHL for other reasons. And that, you know, is part of what he does with the Hockey Diversity Alliance and his voice and really just his charisma and stuff is quite, quite incredible. But um, when they came to you, like, how did that process start for you where, you know, the Hockey Diversity Alliance, it seems like a little bit of a no brainer just with your mentality and your, you know, what you've gone through and your experience and your heart, um, your character. But, you know, tell people a little bit about that experience and how it was for you. And, you know, were there any uh, times where, you know, there was triggers or you started to hear things where you started to get a little heated or were you just able to go in there with a clear mind and a clear heart and say, hey, we're doing this and we're doing this for the right reasons? Well, my brother's part of the, you know, Hockey Diversity Alliance. And I sort of started off as just a bit of an advisory role because I was um, you know, on the grassroots level where I was, this was my day to day. So I sort of gave them some tips on this is what you guys need to do if you're planning on getting involved with the grassroots. So. I'm sort of, uh, uh, my hockey quality is a little bit uh, different than the HDA, but again, I support my brother and uh, sort of what he does with that every day. And again, they're at the top. They're they're re- relevant right now. They have a lot of guys that are playing in the National Hockey League and they, at the end of the day, they do care. They do care and they want to make change. And 
the issue is now is like it's it's at the forefront and you know you gotta you gotta jump in it and it's it's a lot of work and if you're gonna jump in you gotta do the work so uh, they've done a great job so far uh, but it takes everybody it takes all hands on deck here uh, and even now at the National Hockey League they've uh, you know put a lot of resources in making the change because I don't think a lot of people understand and you know I read the comments on Twitter you go read a HDA post and it's saying stop trying to ruin the game stop trying to you know you're killing the game I'm not gonna watch but you know. The NHL, they've done a lot of – put a lot of money into research and just sort of the future of hockey where in Canada, hockey – Canada's uh, not reproducing their population at a, a rate to sustain the population. So they have to bring in new immigrant families. So if that's going to be the future of your population and they're not getting involved in hockey, what's going to happen to hockey, right? So that is the facts of it. So when people are saying – you know, you're trying to kill the game. No, you're trying to save the game because you're trying to get new families involved. And, uh, you know, for me, I think that's the tragedy. You know, everybody now that can't afford it, they're picking up a basketball or a yeah. soccer where the next LeBron James of hockey could be very well in a in an inner city in Toronto or, like you said, in Brandon, if they just had the opportunity to play the game. So that's what it's about. Uh, for me, it's Sportsnet. They didn't just say, hey, you know what, you're a minority. Let's throw you on the air and see how it goes. They put a lot of resources and time and energy and finances into grooming me, developing me, and then putting the finished product on air. So I think that could be the same thing now, just giving these kids the opportunity to get involved. And the one thing I can say, there's a lot of new families to Canada, and some of these kids at four years old, they're picking up the game faster than a lot of you know the kids that have been skating for two, three years where – Week to week, I'm noticing a difference. And yeah. some of these kids are playing select hockey after one year of learning how to skate. So I think that's the reality of it. And I think the HDA recognizes that. And that's why, you know, I started Hockey Quality because, again, it takes a village to really uh, yeah. make a difference right now. But uh, it, it's great that, uh, you know, everyone's uh, accepting it as much as they can. And, uh, again, there's going to be a lot of great work in the future to be done. Yeah, I, I apologize because I did my research, but I must have missed the hockey equality part of that. So is this, <laughs> don't worry, don't yeah, worry. My brothers in the HDA, my brothers in the HDA, and then Shelly, everyone mistakes us all the time. So do not worry about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I but so the hockeyequality.org, it's along the bottom of the screen. And if you're listening to this, I'm gonna have all the links posted uh to all the socials and everything. You have an Instagram page for hockey equality in that? Yeah, or? it's at uh, it's at hockey equality. So you type that in and uh, we cool. just had our first summer camp uh that was uh um put on with the GTHL, NHL, and HLPA. And I think we had 55 kids. Um and it was the first uh you know fully subsidized camp uh, in our partnership with uh, with the league. And you know, it was just amazing because it wasn't just the on ice and the off ice training. They got to do uh, diversity activities where, you know, they got to color. And what does hockey mean to you? And the first thing we noticed, a lot of the kids, when they're doing their coloring, they weren't coloring the pads, the helmet. They were coloring their faces brown or yellow or whatever color that they may be. So just seeing the kids now be comfortable in, in doing an exercise where they can write what they love about the game, what they don't love about the game. They're not being judged because they're surrounded by uh, people that look like them. I think that's amazing too. But um, and I think what's lost in this diversity game, people think it's a certain demographic. You know, we use the term equity deserving, right? I think a lot of people want to take a speedboat with one group. With hockey quality, we're trying to, um, you know, take a, a cruise ship with everybody. So, you know, we have, you know, black families. We have white families. We have single parent homes. We have parents that are still in school. It takes a village now to really lower these costs, and it's not just one demographic or one group. It's everybody that needs help 
and that's how we you know choose to save the game uh, in this game uh, in Canada for sure. Yeah, and it, you know when you say that, I, what comes to my mind when you say save the game, and I, I, I fully under, I fully hear what you're saying, and it makes total sense. I hadn't really thought about that either, right? How hockey could die out. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But more than anything about saving the game, it sounds like you could be saving some lives too, and and really providing um, just just an incredible experience and and potentially a, a life in hockey. And I don't mean the NHL. I mean a life in hockey because at the end of the day. Whether you play in the NHL for a thousand games or not, you're, we're all going to end up in the same place, playing the same places, and some guys never play again. But that's like beer league or men's league or fun tournaments or whatever. Like it doesn't matter where you end up in your career. Eventually, you're done playing professional hockey, and if you want to play, it's going to be in some pickup game. Or you know, I know you played in the LNAH for a little bit too. Yeah, I, think. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta ask you, what the hell? What was that like, man? They they try to recruit me, and I'm like, oh, I saw the Laval Chief movie back in like 2004. I'm good on that league. Yeah, well, I'm good family friends with uh, Sean the Sheriff McMorrow, and he yeah. was uh, he was playing, and he was an agent at the time, and I think he looked me up in Hockey DB, and he's like, "Were you really born in Quebec?" I'm like, "Yeah, I was born." In, I tell everybody I was born in a yeah. car on the way to Toronto, so I was I was always <laughs> eligible uh, to play. So I actually had a, a half brother that played in that league, and you know he was a Golden Gloves boxer, and I think he was one of the champs of the league, and he was only like five eight, 160 pounds, but he knocked guys out. So. I said, you know what? I, I trained that whole entire summer with Matt Nickel, and you know it was a yeah. big, big investment that I put into my body. I'm like, well, I can't do nothing, so I got to stay in shape just in case. So I ended up going to the LNAH. So I'd fly in on a Friday and uh, I'd bring pregame meal to the sheriff, and uh, we drive three hours up to Jean Pierre. I place us uh, Friday night, Saturday night, and fly back. So uh, it was an experience. Um, first game, I had Joel the Animal Terrio yelling oh, at me, screaming at me, and I was going to say something. And they said, no, 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 you do not, do not talk. Don't even look at him. So I was like, okay. I know exactly. So eventually, you know, they were chasing me, calling me NHL, NHL. So I had to fight. So I had to be strategic on who I fought and <laughs> ended up fighting some, you know, MMA guy and ended up being the brakes off him because I was just upset about the whole situation. And uh, everyone left me alone and I was down to playing hockey after that too. So it was, uh, it was a good oh. experience. It was great. Uh, but the one thing I say with the Quebec fans, very, very passionate about their hockey. And it's good hockey. It wasn't a, a, a walk in the park. There's some good players there that um, you were probably AHL guys that were on two ways. that didn't want to have to go back and forth between the East Coast League. And they just said, you know what? I'm going to go start my new career, play on the weekends. But there was some legitimate uh, uh, NHL prospects and guys that play in the league. And it, But it was, it was the jungle, to say the least. But uh, I survived because we had one of the toughest teams. I think we had Gabby Rock and, you know, the sheriff was being the sheriff there. So we had about – four or five tough guys. So we ended up uh, losing, I think in the semis, but it, it was fun to say the least. No kidding. I, I, as soon as you said, Joel, the animal terrier, Terrio, I'm like, Oh my God, I, yeah. me and my buddy, Matt, me and my buddy, Matt must've spent like four or five hours one night, just watching this guy's fights like a year, year and a half ago. We're like laughing. We're like, this guy is actually yeah. like out of his mind, mm -hmm. like out of his mind. I'll tell you a quick story before you go too. I, I went back, I didn't play for 10 years. I went back and played some senior. Actually, the guy I was telling you about owns the team out, up in Maxville. It's in the EOSHL. Actually, the sheriff signed in, uh, in the WOSHL, which is the same league, but down closer to Toronto. He, I don't know if you know this, but he's making another comeback. <laughs> I heard, yeah, I heard the, I saw the, the announcement last week. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but anyways, same thing, man, I'm not even kidding. In my very first game, there was a guy, boxer, MMA guy, like fighter, like from Quebec that was on this team and we were playing, uh, 
Is it, it wasn't Cornwall. It was, I forget what team it was, but it was the first game. I had not played a game in 10 years. Like it's senior hockey. You know how they do it. Like, yes, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, we got a trainer, we got, uh, you know, music and warm up. the whole thing's, you know, 800 fans, whatever it was during warm up, this guy comes over the red line. I'm like standing on the blue line doing the three line shoot and he comes over, sheds his mitts and jumps me in warm up. <laughs> no way. Yeah, way. And, and luckily like I tagged him pretty good. I ended up talking to him. I broke his nose and stuff, but the scariest thing was about these. And the reason I say this is because MMA guys, I punched him and he went down and I kind of felt his legs came right up, grazed the one skate, grazed my face because they, when they go on the ground, they bring their legs up, right? Like the, it's like the thing. And like, oh, he almost kicked me in the face and I picked him up and he did it again. We both got kicked out, but I didn't even make, I didn't get to play. I got kicked out warm up and suspended for like five games and I didn't even start it. I just protect myself. And uh, I made the mistake of going back and that wasn't, that wasn't where the, the antics ended. Um, they're still trying to get me to come back, but um, you know, it, it, it's, it was, it's still an experience to go back and play. Um, I, I love the LNAH. I, I watch a lot of the, the fights and, and, and to your point, there is a lot, there are a lot of good hockey players in that league and the hockey is, uh, is a lot better than what people think. And I think it's gotten only better over the years, like back to the, I don't know if you remember that movie, the, the chiefs, the, yeah, the chiefs, chiefs. Yeah. Oh, man. yeah, it's great oh, guys are living at the rank and yeah, that's, that's, that's for the love of the game. Right. So that, well, that's, well, that's it, man. That's it. Um, and I know there's going to be more stuff that, you know, I wanted to talk about today. I do want to get to a couple comments before you're going, because this is a live show. People yeah, are watching. Yeah. Uh, I won't get to all of them because uh, I kind of often neglect them. Um, but I wanted to, I did see one for sure that I really wanted to get to from Jody Wen. She said, I loved Anthony when he played back in Kingston. I never missed a game. And I was there for almost every practice after school at the Memorial Center to watch Anthony. I was there when Chris was a walk-on. Um, she also said, I still have the newspaper clipping of Chris on the front page of our Kingston's Wig Standard News paper as well as a walk-on. I so remember that story Anthony just talked about, about Chris being a walk-on. So you got some old, old uh Friends watching from Kingston. She also said that Express team was owned by a friend of mine. And I know Anthony knows him, former NHLer Tom McCarthy. Tom took Anthony and Chris under his wing. And I've heard stories from Tom, RIP Tommy. Um, yeah, that's great. And uh, yeah, so he, uh, he, you know, my brother, and that's one of the reasons why my brother quit because he had to take the bus and it was like two hours to get there. But Tom was one of the guys, one of the coaches that recognized the talent and would come and pick Chris up and drive him all the way out to Mississauga. I think it was the Mississauga Rebels. So picking him up from Scarborough, I think he lived in Toronto. So he really helped, you know, recognize the talent and help uh, and uh, help uh, develop that. So, yeah, RIP to Tom McCarthy. He was great. Uh, great guy. Great fan, fan, uh, family uh, friend as well. Yeah, thanks for watching, Jody. Thanks for sharing that story. And uh, thanks for letting us in on that little bit of information, information, Anthony. There's so many people along the way that, you know, really make an impact in our lives. And I, I love to hear those stories. Just a couple more. Yeah. Uh, uh, Stuart Smith watching in Abbotsford says, the old cut and trade, not to be confused with the sign and trade. Um, dating, going back to what you said, yeah, that was not the right comment that I tried to click on. This is the one. <laughs> okay, this, this is the one from Stuart. <laughs> Stuart, your wife, if you're watching, let me know what you're talking about there because I my, my memory is not that good. Too many concussions. He said, well said, Stuart. Let's work together and make positive changes in the great game. Top down. Um, two more. 
Hockey is a lifestyle. Matthew Meanser, he's all the way in Ushuaia, Argentina. It's oh, like, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he's making this guy's making hockey sticks out of the a local tree that grows there to grow the game down there. He's a carpenter and he's designed his own stick brand because they have no equipment. Uh, they they share equipment within the community and everything else. And he's designed this stick and he's he, he's got a factory, uh, you know, a workshop there that he's making sticks. It's actually really an incredible story. They just had Darius Casparitis down there. Um, oh, that's great. Visiting as well too. So shout out to Matt you down there um doing an amazing job growing the growing the game but he's not here anymore he said he had to leave earlier um yeah i think we'll i think we'll oh we got new ones coming in and i don't want to keep you too much longer um before i oh we i gotta get to this one stewie said if his brother wasn't good the team was going to cut his brother and trade anthony that's right that's right that's that's a true story that's a true story that, that's hilarious. That's so that's so funny. But you were the captain of the team. You probably knew that you weren't going anywhere regardless, right? Well, I knew the team wasn't going to be that great, so they were going to probably trade me at the deadline. But the funny story was I said, I'm not leaving my brother. So I sat in the rink uh, till the deadline passed, um, and they actually had a trade in place for me. And I said, Mab, like, if you trade me, I'm going to California. My girlfriend lives in California. I'm not leaving my brother. So the funny part was I think if the trade was – for David Chance, and he actually turned his phone off because he needed permission, and so he the trade didn't go through because he ended up turning his phone off. So, but I always thanked him. We ended up in the Florida system together, and I thanked him because I'm like, I was not going to Mississauga. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, says Anthony is a beauty. My old neighbor saying hi quickly. Um, and Brody Kerbison, also watching, just get to his because it's here. There's no other feeling than being on the ice with the next generation. Uh, my last and final question for you, um, being an analyst, is that something that you ever thought you would see yourself doing? And um, how much of a challenge was that getting to, you know, having to be on live TV and, and you know, looking in the camera and people talking in your ears like you're a hockey player. What, what was that experience like for you? And, and how much do you enjoy doing it? Because you guys do a fantastic job over there, man. Yeah, it's a funny story how I even got involved where, uh, you know, someone asked me that one of the producers uh, used to do off the record appearances and they saw my Twitter and noticed that I was just always making jokes on Twitter. So they said, would you ever do radio? And I said, well, I don't really have any training. They're like, no, just go on and we'll just uh, see how it goes. So it was me and uh, I think three other NHLers. It was myself, Mike Zigamanis, Andre DeVoe and Sean Mathias. So we were just going, you know, doing our reps and, they paired us with Jeff Blair, who's, you know, a pretty serious baseball guy, but he had a, a hockey segment. And so I think the good part was, is that I sort of lightened the mood and they sort of liked what I was doing. So they asked me if I wanted to do TV. And I said, well, I'm not really worried about the pay structure, but I don't have any suits that fit me anymore. So I can't be going on Hockey Night Canada and, and I don't have any suits. So they're like, don't worry, we'll get you suits. So I did a couple appearances. So what helped was um, a lot of the other guys weren't really, you know, they had other things on the go. Um, and the funny part was I ended up doing radio um, and they asked me, can I do six o'clock? And I said, well, I coach hockey. I can't do six o'clock. So um, I'm out, out of the six o'clock. So what I didn't know, they were talking about the 6 a.m. slot for the radio show. So they actually gave that to Mike Zigamanis, <laughs> but they originally wanted me to do six o'clock. Thank God I said no to that. But um, I ended up doing a show with uh, Jeff Merrick and Justin Bourne, and I ended up doing a couple TV hits. Uh, but then the pandemic hit, so no one could really travel across the border. So I had to work the entire bubble uh, with myself, Kevin Bieksa, and I think it was uh, Brian Burke and Elliot Friedman. So I think it was the four of us, and we worked every day 
um, I think for about two months, some days, three games. So I got probably about two years of experience in two months. Um, and it was just the opportunity I got because I didn't say no to them asking me when they could have went and found somebody else. So it was great that I got the opportunity to do that. I ended up signing a, uh, a, a real deal after that too. And since then it's been my career. So I'm really excited to be part of the Sportsnet family, but it's great because it's not like TV business. You're going to make your mistakes, uh, yeah. but everyone's there to help you. Ron McLean, amazing. Elliot Freeman, amazing. David um, Amber, amazing. You know, if you mess up, BXL and probably laugh in your face, but he's been amazing as well too. It's just the atmosphere where it's almost bringing you back to that dressing room feeling where yeah, it's work. It's a lot of work, trust me. But uh, behind the scenes, it's great. Everyone's amazing from the producers to the analysts to the camera guys. Everybody there is friends where after you can go and grab a beer with, with you know, 10, 20, 30 different people that are part of that production. So it's great to be a part of that. And I'm happy to call Sportsnet my family. No kidding. No kidding. And you, you do a fantastic job on there, man. There's no question about it. Uh, people can say what they want. I, I see people comment this and that. I, I really think these people, I, I would like to know who these people are making these comments. I don't know if they're bots or whatever. I am telling you right now that, that your guys' lineup is the best it's ever been here in Canada for sure. And I'm not, no disrespect to those guys down in the States. I just don't like that approach for me. Some yeah. people love it and you know who I'm talking about. And that's no disrespect to them or what they do. I just really... Uh, you know, I'm ingrained here, I guess, in Hockey Night in Canada and Sportsnet and all that. But I, I think that the the from the and analysis side of the game, I don't think we've ever been in better hands um, with with you guys doing it, and it makes hockey enjoyable to watch. And I went so many years without watching it. It's I actually look forward uh, to you know to you your guys's you know parts in between periods and before games after whatever that looks like sometimes more than I do to actually watch the game to be honest. So you guys do a fantastic job. Keep it up. Uh, I wish you all the best and maybe one of these days I'm not that far from you man. We should get on the ice together. Um, you know, do something. I don't know, even know if I'm just down there. I would love to get on the ice with you. It'd be, on, be an absolute honor, man. I'd love to pick your brain one day. I know time is time is the most valuable thing we have, but if there's ever an opportunity, I would absolutely love that. And uh, I just really appreciate you coming on, sharing your stories and experience. And um, thank you for being such a, a powerful voice and presence uh, and somebody who's been taking action, not just talking about it because people like to talk about things and not do them. And you're out there, um, doing it and you're doing it for the absolute 100% right reasons. And, uh, I, I think it just speaks to who you are. And I, I'd never talked to you before tonight prior to, uh, to Instagram, but I've seen many interviews, uh, and, and people, you know, I've never said anything bad about you. You know, the sheriff was super excited to, you know, he's like, yeah, he's a great guy. And I, I already knew. Right. But to, yeah, sure. the, the fact that you're, you're, you're using your experience, um, and your resources, to make people better, to make the game better. Not everybody does that. Mm -hmm. A lot of people that can do that and have the resources, but they don't do that. So thank you um, from, from somebody else in the hockey community. I know there's people out there. There's no question that you've touched lives, saved lives, and it's just the, the tip of the iceberg, buddy. So I, I don't know you that well, but I'm proud of what you're doing. Never stop because you're, you're changing the world, even if it's one person at a time. I appreciate it. And uh, keep doing what you're doing. Okay, buddy. Thanks so much. Go, go take care of the family. All right. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Thank you. And let me know if that book's coming out. Cause I, I want a copy. All right. You get the first copy. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. Talk soon. All right, guys. That's Anthony Stewart from Sportsnet. 
Uh, we're going to hear a quick message from our friends over at Pride Tape. I'm going to come back and wrap up the show. I'm really excited. There's a, I'm going to play a song at the end of this show called Hockey to Hell and Back, written by my friend Chad Campbell. Uh, people may have heard the rough version a little bit, uh, but he's got the, the, the rough produced version. He says there's still going to be some changes to it, but I'm going to play out the show to this song. And if you know me and you know my story, he really touches on a lot of uh, different areas. And the first couple times not going to lie, I cried listening to it. I still could cry listening to it. Um, you know, thank you, Chad. Thank you, Chad, for doing that. Uh, it means the world to me, but we'll be back to wrap up the show here after we hear from our friends over at Pride Tape. Don't mind these pictures. I think I need an updated video. Hockey to Hell and Back is brought to you by Pride Tape. Pride Tape is a badge of support from teammates, coaches, parents, and pros to young LGBTQ players. It shows every player that they belong playing the sport they love and that we're all on the same team. Show your support for teammates, coaches, and fans in the LGBTQ community by wrapping your stick with Pride Tape. Every roll of tape will make an impact in sports and beyond. Inclusion starts with leadership. Check out some of the ideas of how you can get involved at youcanplayproject.org. Check out Pride Tape at pridetape.com. For more information, you can send an email to aubrey at pridetape.com. That's A-U-B-R-E-E, aubrey at pridetape.com. You can find Pride Tape on facebook.com slash pridetape, on Twitter at pridetape, and at pridetape on Instagram. Pride Tape thanks all of you for being champions for change. Thank you to our friend Steve Buckley for the voiceover on that down there in Oregon, United States. Thank you, Steve. Thank you to our friends over at Pride Tape, Dean and Jeff. Um, you guys have been amazing. You guys are doing amazing stuff. Love you guys lots. Love what you're doing. Um, you know, I, I'll be honest. I'm, I really want to talk hockey culture. I really want to talk not necessarily about these allegations that have come out with Hockey Canada because it's not my job to decipher, you know, who was involved or what exactly happened or anything like that. You know, the, the police can do that. The authorities, whoever, I think they need to do that. They need to get to the bottom of it. But I'm not going to sit here and debate about allegations. But what I can say is that as a player who went through the Canadian Hockey League, went through junior and pro, went through minor hockey, I saw a lot. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, I, I've really been thinking about it the last couple of days. I'm like, wow, that was really messed up. Really messed up. Um, didn't see a whole lot of criminal stuff. Uh, I think definitely there was some some questionable activities uh, and I can sit here and say that you know I saw it and I didn't stop any of it I didn't stand up and speak on it and the reason why is because I think number one just being scared to be different and, and to not fit in in the dressing room and with the guys it's a really hard stance to be like yeah I'm not it's not for me or I'm not doing that or no you shouldn't be doing that the other side to that is that to be honest with you, it didn't really feel wrong. Not the language you're, I was hearing, uh, though I didn't like it, it, it didn't really, it just felt normal because everyone was doing this stuff. We saw, I saw a lot of, of different things. I mean, it's, I'm going to speak openly about this uh, on a very 
uh, near episode, let's say, in the near future. Uh, I want to try to find the right guest uh, who's who's really willing uh, to speak about the experience and what they saw. And again, it's not to blame anyone or organizations. You heard Anthony talk about it. It is. It's a systemic problem, and it's not just in hockey. But I think here in Canada, hockey gets put on this pedestal. Hockey players get put on this pedestal where you get special favors, special treatment. I, I was not a superstar by any means, and I I saw that myself. I experienced that myself. Um, a lot needs to change. I don't want to talk too much more about this tonight. But I'm going to try to find myself a guest. And I really want to debate somebody on this topic. On, on somebody who is like, well, it's just the way it is. Or is maybe scared to speak out. I really want to debate somebody on it. And, and the reason why is because I really believe there's a whole bunch of people who have gone through this. And they don't even know or have had a chance to fully understand how wrong a lot of it is. Um, players go from coaches to management. Some people leave home for, for junior hockey at 16 years old and they stay in the game in those same systems until they're basically dead. And you don't want to bite the hand that feeds you. But I'm really hopeful that we are going to see a significant amount of change. And Hockey Canada came out with a game plan uh, today. And a lot of it sounds great. And I'm hopeful that they will do what they can. And like we talked about earlier, is the, the hazing and the bullying has definitely, definitely improved drastically over the last number of years. So I love that Anthony posed it that way because it put things in perspective for me. It's like, well, have they messed up? Do I agree with what they've done and handled this situation? Absolutely not. Do I think more light needs to be shed on and people need to be accountable? Absolutely. I do. But at the same time, I am hopeful that change will happen. But I want to remind people, and this is just my philosophy, my opinion, that I truly believe that it's not always looking to people who you essentially think are up here, whether it be Hockey Canada or in the medical field, doctors or professionals. Sometimes people just have to take care of people and, and build it within our communities and hold people accountable within our communities. And then it doesn't really matter. You don't really even need the top-down approach because everyone's keeping each other accountable. Right? Let's just be good people. As parents, let's instill good values in our kids. And as, as coaches, parents of hockey players, let's not forget that just because you play hockey or your kid plays hockey, that they're any above anybody else or above any laws. Um, because that's just not the case. And it's, it's really dangerous because eventually that, that hockey persona wears off. Right. And navigating life after hockey can be extremely difficult, especially once you've had all that preferential treatment. There's a lot of lessons to be learned here. And I'm not saying, you know, about what I'm talking about. I just mean in general. And I think we all need to pay 
uh, more attention uh, to, to what's going on around us. And that's coaches in the dressing room, teachers in the classroom, uh, people at work. If you hear something or you see something that you know is wrong, speak up about it. You don't have to be rude or mean about it or degrade somebody and, and, and attack them. But you can use it as an opportunity to educate them. And I think if we can all find our voice and, and share what's going on with us and how certain things make us feel, especially when we see something wrong, it's an opportunity to, to open somebody else's eyes and heart. Because like I said, a lot of the times I, I really believe that these, these individuals don't even know that they're doing anything wrong because it just seems so quote unquote normal. Anyways, that's it for me. Uh, check out Puck Support, PuckSupport.com. You won't find this hoodie on the website, not for a while yet, uh, but we have all sorts of different things and sweatshirts and t-shirts and hats. All of our stuff has a name of a hockey player who's passed away from either suicide or overdose on the inside. Andrew Carroll in my hat there and where really where it all started, Matthew Lazinski in my sweater. Matthew Lazinski and Mitch Fadden were really the inspiration uh, for puck support. Matthew Lazinski was uh, Matt Thompson, who's my best friend. Uh, it's That was his best friend. Uh, Mitch Fadden was my former roommate in the American Hockey League. And to my knowledge, there are 76 hockey players who have passed away from suicide or overdose. And one is too many. And one is too many. I, I still have a hard time believing how many lives just in the hockey community have been lost. Many of them, my friends, a coach, people that I, you know, loved and, and cared for and really would have never guessed, would have never guessed. If you're a parent, if you're a coach, please don't assume that everything's okay within your household or within your dressing room or that this won't happen to us. This won't happen to me. This won't happen to my family. I know what it like. I know what it's like to feel that way. That was me. That was me. That'll, that'll never be me. You know, those people have to worry about that. We're not going to talk about this stuff because that'll never affect my life. Be proactive. Put the people in your life, whether it's kids, players, family members, neighbors, talk about this stuff. Put people in a position to have a better understanding of mental health, substance misuse, everything that comes with that. And we can talk about inclusion and all of that. Just these positive conversations, uplifting conversations, educational conversations. By talking about this stuff... Right? If, if you can find the strength and the courage to talk about this stuff openly, I will guarantee you, I will guarantee you that it will open the door for so many others around and the conversations you're going to have with those people may surprise you. If you can openly talk about this and get other people to feel comfortable and they can start sharing and they can start educating themselves and they can start being proactive and paying attention to this stuff, that's where we see change. That's where we see lives saved. We'll see you back here Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern. 
If you're watching, please like, share, subscribe, turn on notifications. If you're watching on Facebook, share it to your wall, please. If you're listening to the audio, rate and review on Spotify. I, I, I can take the constructive criticism as well. So please don't give me five stars if you, if you don't think it's five stars. A lot of people, I think, um, a lot of people just, I, I think, go in there because they know me and they're like five stars. I love constructive criticism. Tell me, tell me what I'm doing wrong. Dying for somebody to tell me that. I'll probably hear a bunch of it when I go upstairs now. Anyways, I'm gonna leave you with this new song from my friend Chad Campbell, Hockey to Hell and Back. Enjoy it. I probably enjoy it more than all of you, but I wanna thank Chad for taking the time. Um, for, for writing this song and, and putting his heart into it because he really hit home with it. And I just truly, truly, truly appreciate it. Anyways, until next time, be kind, find gratitude in the little things. If you're breathing, you're alive. You have the gift of life. Make the most of it. If you want to accomplish something, you want to do something, do it. The only person stopping you is you. Be kind to everybody. And until next time, have a great day if you so choose. Hockey was my life, rookie of the year. Swift as a Bronco, they stuff in my gear. Mask the pain when it's insane, yearning for that buzz. Twelve your journey through the depths of hell Criminal fentanyl, I struggled, I fell Abused, confused, as a shadow of who I once was Can't sleep, restless week Go down night of reality I need to get my life gear back on track Used to toe drag him like Wayne Gretzky And now I'm toe-tending homeless on Hastings Intervenous drugs weren't in the gang notes The wrong kind of high to ride the lightning Sideboard ignoring hot and frightened Hawking the hill and back was my recovery road Can't sleep, restless week. Up all night, a dread on the beat. I need to get my life here back on track. Emotions drained, I can't stop crying. Send my reflection, no sense lying. My inspirations are getting back. Mental health over hockey. Gotta get people talking. Ignite the chain of a game in this real world. The soul is The game changes from my former convictions. Now I live for the fuck addiction. I've got honest to honor the ones we lost. Finally doing what I'm meant to do. 
Struck on your blade, you can follow me too. Give me your ear to hockey and hair and back podcast. Can't sleep, restless week. Up all night, a trailer I need to get my life here back on track. Emotions drained, I can't stop crying. Except my reflection, no sense lying. My inspiration's hockey to hell and back. Pretty leaves won't hockey to hell and back.